We're down to the final three you pick sermons for the year. Of course, we've extended it out a little, a little while, but we're going to hit a couple controversial ones these last two weeks, ones that I've put off because I didn't want to write them, no, but ones that kind of wanted to build up to. So you'll want, you won't want to miss the next two Sundays. Please come back for those. We're going to hit some big ones. Uh, church gender roles will be in that mix. So bring your tomatoes and sharp objects to throw at me. And no, make sure you come back for the last two weeks of you pick. This morning, we're going to actually touch on a, a hopeful message, I pray, this week with everything going on around us. The question you submitted was, what will heaven be like? And what a wonderful topic to touch on this morning. And thank you to everyone that sent in your questions again this year. Well, I got a story to kick things off this morning, as uh, preachers like myself like to do. Does anybody recognize this building? Yeah, that's right. That's right, Empire State Building. I was going to say, Karen, you're not allowed to play. Well, there's a story that's told of a, a little boy who got on an elevator right here on the right. Karen's good. She even found that. Got on the elevator with his father at the Empire State Building. And, of course, it goes pretty high. Uh, the father and son were, were go going to the observation deck. They were going to go to the very top of the Empire State Building. Has anybody, anybody here done that? Anybody been there and gone to the top of it? A couple people. So the elevator started ascending, and, and the boys started watching the signs flash as they were ascending to the top. You know, you'd see the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, and on up. The farther they went up, the more nervous the boy became. And finally, finally, the boy looked up at his dad and said, Daddy, does God know we're coming? <laughs> From the time we're children, I think many of us wonder, we ask that question, what will heaven be like? And there's actually biblical precedent for that. It's actually within us to want to know the answer to that question. Uh, Solomon writes, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. The Bible tells us so. And the good news is, yes, son, God knows we're coming. And isn't that uh, something hopeful we can chew on this morning and this week? Yes, our Father knows we're coming. Jesus says in John 14, 2, and boy, these are words of hope today for us as well. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You know, down here we worry about, are we going to be able to find toilet paper this week? Won't be that way in heaven. Won't be that way. Everything's prepared. Everything's perfect. Jesus Christ is preparing a place. Wow, it's going to be great. It's going to be fabulous. But we wonder what it's going to be like, right? We wonder what awaits God's people when we get there, and how does the Bible more fully describe heaven? Well, this isn't our main text this morning, but we're going to take a bit of a pit stop here, 2 Corinthians 12. You're, you're welcome to turn in your pew Bibles. I'm going to have it on the screen behind me as well, though. Paul actually writes some fairly big words here to the church, the church at Corinth. And he says this. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. 
he goes on to say, verse 3, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. We'll stop there. So it's important, number one, first of all, we want to understand that Scripture makes us aware that there's three kinds of what we call heaven. Okay, we've got, this word can be used for multiple ideas, if you will. Here the apostle Paul writes that he was caught up to the third heaven, and he was prohibited from revealing what he experienced there. He doesn't give us the floor plan, okay? Um, But before we get into the specifics of this place, what we want to understand is if Paul makes a reference to a third heaven, well, that must mean there are a couple of other which come first, right? There must be two others. And, and maybe most of you already are aware of this, uh, but let's review it as to what's revealed uh, even in Scripture. The first heaven is usually referred to in the Old Testament as the sky or the firmament, as the firmament. This would be uh, the first heaven. This is what we appear into when we step outside the house. We see birds going through. We see a plane going up into the sky. Or here in a future time, all these Amazon drones dropping packages everywhere. That's going to be real fun in the future, right? Who knows what other kinds of things. But fortunately, the first heaven is not where we go when we die. And that's good because I don't like flying. Maybe some people would be in heaven in the first heaven, but I wouldn't be. But heaven number two now, as we move forward, this is kind of what we'd, this is what we'd refer to as outer space, right? We're outside of Earth's atmosphere, uh, where the, the stars are. We have uh, some ideas here, some examples, right? We've got Neptune, Jupiter, so on and so forth, uh, or the Starship Enterprise, if you happen to be a Star Trekkie. The second heaven these all reside in, including our own Earth. But this morning, how do we get caught up in the third heaven? heaven. Sometimes we will encounter some group, some religious cult or of some sort maybe that thinks they've got it all figured out where the location is, you know, second star to the right and straight on till morning or whatever. But the Bible doesn't give us the location of the third heaven. What we find in the scripture is that it's off the map. So when Jesus says in my father's house are many rooms, he tells us quite a bit about it. He doesn't tell us where to find it and ultimately we can't reach it in this life on our own anyway the bible says the last time we tried doing so god came down and confused the languages so it's not a good idea right but the third heaven we know is the dwelling place of the lord god himself of course we could find verses say god is everywhere but ultimately this location is his eternal location as well but what will the third heaven be like, I may have jumped ahead there. Paul didn't tell us, so we've come up with some diverse ideas about it ourselves. The Bible is explicitly clear on how to get to heaven. It tells us exactly. There's, there's no confusion, no mistake on how we're going to get there. Mark 16, 16, for example, you know, believe and be baptized. I mean, it's pretty simple. It really is. But people come forth with their own ideas on what awaits. There was a book entitled Heaven is for Real. I don't know if anyone here is familiar with that book or or read that book. This book documented a child's near-death experience in which he claimed to make a visit to heaven and back. 
uh, John MacArthur, the, the preacher, would, would later uh, have a lot to say that was very critical about the book, uh, that it was very unbiblical with the perspective it, it gave, but it still managed to sell 10 million copies, right? Because we're interested, we want to know. And there are a lot of other Christian publications. I've given you a list of them here. Proof of Heaven, Neurosurgeon wrote this, had a 2008 uh, near-death experience, supposedly. The author of 90 Minutes in Heaven had his 15 minutes of fame, uh, released a film, film made $100 million. Wow. But so many of these accounts, they tend to be proven either as uh, MacArthur argued unbiblical or just contradictory to Scripture or just grossly unscientific. We, we can tell that, hey, something's not right here about this account. Uh, proof of heaven, ironically, by the neurosurgeon turned out to be fall into that category. The most glaringly obvious, I included it up here, a case of a fictional been there, seen the pearly gates, came from a book entitled The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. This, one's, this one was real controversial. I wanted to share it with you. This was a best-selling book in 2010. A million copies were sold of this book, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. Five years of sales went on, and finally the boy, Alex, who uh, supposedly went and came back, came forward to admit he had made the whole story up. It was all concocted. Um, I thought it would get me attention, is what he said. And it did. He was right. And it's now out of print. In 2015, the book authored by uh, Kevin, his father, and Alex, the son, the last name, uh, interestingly enough, was uh, Malarkey, which is what the book turned out to, to be, a bunch of. Maybe a bit rude of me to make a name joke like that, though, right? When Kevin Malarkey came clean about this book, he, he did so in a letter to Christian publishers, and it said, people have profited from lies, they continue to, they should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anyone written, anything written by man cannot be infallible. And of course, we couldn't agree more on this. Uh, no so-called Christian bestseller is going to give us details, which even the Paul, the apostle, wasn't permitted to share, right? I mean, that just should stand out and be obvious to us. We have uh, Islam, we have Muhammad, who described paradise as a place filled with, quote, beautiful, large-eyed female companions, because, uh, ladies, I'm sorry, but Muslim heaven isn't going to be very exciting for you, just letting you know. Buddhism, Buddhism teaches uh, paradises, there's as many of those as there are Buddhas, gods and goddesses, and heavens galore, which kind of makes it all meaningless if you think about it, right? That same lie the serpent gave mankind in the garden just keeps showing up in different forms, in different forms. But the problem isn't that we want to know about heaven. You know, again, that's within us. And God has made us desire to be with him where he abides, certainly after the fall. Nothing is going to satisfy in this life like an eternity in our Father's house, right? Uh, Christian author C.S. Lewis, I love this quote here wrote, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I, I love that quote. I love that quote. Um, so we try to find information. We try to find out as much as we can. But we're going to focus in today on Revelation 21, 10 to uh, 27. This is where we want to pull our information from today. 
And what we see in this text in answering the question, what will heaven be like, is John and his report on the heavenly city. Again, this isn't going to give you a floor plan. There's not going to be any info packet here. We're not going to find out heaven's Wi-Fi password. I hope they have a pretty big router. That's all I can say. You tell the way I've been wired to think, right? But heaven is going to blow all of these ideas out of the water anyway. All the comforts and all those things that we look for when we go stay somewhere and in some mansion and some room somewhere. Anything we can come up with. Uh, maybe you think about, you know, where would I like to go to vacation? What are some things I enjoy? What are, th- what are, what are amenities I appreciate if, if I'm going to uh, relax? You know, maybe you like a log cabin somewhere or a, a big meadow, a uh, waterfall. Maybe some of you like the idea of several tame horses. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever it is you uh, enjoy or would be relaxed around, whatever heaven is to you, God is going to surpass your wildest imagination, the most expensive lodging you could come up with that you could be blessed to imagine. And John tells us all this right here. Uh, Read with me. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. We're at verse 13, on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. We'll continue here, verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length, the same as its width. And he measured the uh, city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Now let's stop there in the text. This is some surreal reading, isn't it? This is, this is some strange stuff. It's kind of hard for us to literally imagine this. Uh, but it, so it should be obvious at face value from reading this text that for all the heavenly specifics we'd like to drum up, I think we all have to admit that the Bible tells us a whole lot about the forest and not much about the trees, right? As often as the case with Revelation, we're getting an assortment of powerful images. These are images attesting to the beauty of where God is taking us. But it's well beyond our imaginations. It's being constructed in eternity by an infinite spirit. How can we begin at this point on the journey to understand? But there's some things we can take in and and help us understand where we're going. First, John witnesses this heavenly city possessing the glory of God, having the very presence of God. This is at a level of communion with God we haven't experienced yet. It's going to be wonderful. In verse uh, 23, uh, the sun and the moon are no longer needed above us, we're told. The glory of God gives us light. Think of how close. You know, Adam and Eve once walked with God in the garden and, and all that got thrown away. 
But once again, the closeness of God with his creation. This is described to us. No night, no night. Does this sound heavenly or what? You know, there won't be the radiance, even though uh, God made this great big star, gives us uh, light to guide us. Not going to be necessary. That's how close we'll be with our maker. Wow. We, uh, we talk about clarity here. And uh, verse 18, I had that back here. Verse 18 will speak of um, this crystal clear jasper, right? City described as a place of costly stones. We see some numbers coming up a lot, numbers of gates and foundations of its city, attesting to its greatness, attesting to uh, just how uh, majestic of an area we're talking about. So ancient man could understand from reading this text. This is, this is amazing. This place is beautiful. This place is beyond our imagination. Modern man could understand the same thing. This idea, th this beauty, this power. Now we want to look at Revelation uh, 22, 1 to 2. Uh, look at this text with me on the screen or in your Bible. Because again, this is the idea that we want to focus on here. Something significant is pointed out to us here in this text, verses 1 to 2. And I kind of uh, jumped too early and mentioned it a minute ago. Remember that tree of life? The one that we had the chance to abide by and, and we blew it because we had to know what was going on and think we could be like God? Guess what? It's been restored. We once threw this all away. Everything for which we were created, but we're going to have it all handed back to us. Paradise. It's as if we never lost it. Look at this text. Heaven will be, Scripture says to me, what God intended for us several thousand years ago. The way life was meant to be in the garden. But I think the temptation is for us sometimes is we want to try to slide through these scriptures with a fine-tooth comb. We want to try to figure out, well, what's 12,000 stadia or 144 cubits? What in the world is a carnelian and a, and a chrysolite? What kind of science fiction am I reading about here? But, you know, and it's often, it's often been said like those parables of Christ. There's symbolism in this text of which our understanding, if, even if we had it, it's not going to change the meaning of the entire narrative. It's not going to change the meaning. So we need to understand this. If Paul's ability or consent for description in 2 Corinthians 12 was so limited, the Apostle John, I can't imagine uh, being out from this restriction as well in Revelation 21 and 22. But think about what we can get out of the account, what John was permitted to tell us. Down here on earth, some of us spend our whole lives clamoring for things that we've deemed are valuable. Gold, pearls, precious stones, you name it. Our monetary system here, it puts a roof over our heads, it puts clothes on our backs, put food on the table when the store has it, it puts toilet paper in our bathrooms. I got at least one more joke about that before we're done. But the Bible tells us that Back to the, the gold and the stones, the costliest material. And this goes back to verse 9, and it keeps going, right? Keeps going through all of this. These materials are at the foot, the foundation of heaven. Someone has commented, gold has so little value to eternity that the streets of heaven compare it to the dirt of earth. It's only worth walking on. 
It's only worth walking on. And so we know, we know if this is at the foot of heaven, that heaven's going to be big, it's going to be beautiful, it's going to be perfect, and here's the thing, it's going to satisfy each and every one of us for an eternity. We'll never tire of it. You know, the first day we check into the Holiday Inn Express, we say, oh, this place is great. I'm going to stretch out on this bed here. And by day six, uh, day six we're ready to go home. We kind of had it, right? We're ready to get back to uh, the things at home that we enjoy, back at our houses. Heaven's not going to be that way. It, it, it won't be possible. If you've taken any uh, time to do any astronomy, uh, look through any telescopes, or just... Uh, looked online at some pictures that get put out there. I think the second heaven is, is fairly incredible enough to the eye. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big space junkie, but I find these things interesting. Um, the most recently developed pictures of planet Jupiter, by the way, by NASA are enough to boggle your imagination. If you, if you, if you get a chance, go out and do some Googling and look up NASA Jupiter. There's, there has been some incredible uh, planets and uh, pictures, close-ups, things that we've never seen before that have recently been revealed. God has allowed us to see beyond our own world his creativity. And we see it in the second heaven, don't we? We see what God has done, and I believe continues to do. I believe God is still creating in this process as the universe expanding. He's still doing what God does. What beauty what beauty we have, not just in earth, but in the universe surrounding. You know, there's, of course, some people that get more caught up in the second heaven than, unfortunately, they, they ever will the third. A Russian cosmonaut by the name of Major Titov returned from a trip into space. This was uh, circa 1960s. He was a, an atheist. He scoffed and joked that he, he, he never did see God while he was floating above the earth. And he took a retort from a colleague that day who responded to him, a believer uh, who responded to him by saying, well, you know, if you'd stepped out of your spacesuit just once, you'd be guaranteed to have seen God real quick. <laughs> and we're not all uh, interested, all of us, in, in this second heaven to great extent, right? I mean, some of us enjoy it. We, we like to see pictures of the moon or Mars, study what's out there. Other of us, you know, we get kind of bored with it quickly. We think, well, I studied all that in high school. That was enough for me, and that's okay. The second heaven becomes old hat to us at some point in this life. But the third heaven will surpass anything within our scope of experiencing in this life. Look at this verse. Look at what Paul tells us. The guy that wasn't permitted to tell us exactly all the details. Paul says, what no eye has seen, nor any heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We just can't even imagine. We just can't even imagine. We're going to actually sing that song in just a little bit. So we can skip all these books that claim to have these answers. and Stick with the book God has given us, the collection of books. We do have an alternative, of course. Alternative for those who aren't excited by what they read in the Bible about heaven, don't, don't want to get into the mystery of it all or, or wait for God to reveal it. It's been said if you don't pay a whole lot of attention to worshiping God down here, then you're probably going to hate heaven number three. 
you know? There's a lot of liberal theologians and preachers that say that it doesn't exist, but Jesus himself, and again, John and Revelation, make reference to the other eternal destination, the other place awaiting us. And the Bible tells us that it's not a place that you want to be caught dead going. So heaven, for all of its surreal imagery we're given about it in the Bible, I guarantee you that it's a better alternative than the eternally burning sewage and garbage dump called the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna or Hell, which Jesus says awaits in Mark 9, 47 to 48. And, and part of the reason why I'm bringing that up this morning and what heaven's going to be like is because I want you to see uh, what we can contrast here, the difference. The difference between what the word tells us about heaven and hell. In heaven, we see a restoration of the tree of life. Everything we were made for. Revelation 22. You remember Jesus on the cross declares to that penitent criminal in Luke 23, Today you will be with me in paradise. Well, what is he saying? This word Jesus uses here in this text for paradise, para, uh, paradisos, literally means a park. Literally means that is an Eden or a place of happiness. Jesus from the cross, and this was under the Old Covenant when he said this to the thief on the cross, says to the penitent criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. Specifically referring to the paradise of God or the park of God or Eden restored. Eden restored. A place from which you can never be separated from me again. And I love this part. Revelation 22.3 tells us that nothing accursed is allowed in. Why? Because it's going to the other place. Anything following the serpent turned dragon or devil. Bye-bye serpent, you're cast away. Catch hell devil and your followers. Literally. There are those that are ignorant of the Bible. There are people that will argue such things as, I, I don't want to some pie in the sky. I don't want to be standing around holding a harp, standing on a cloud for eternity, once in a while standing down to look down and smile at people. You ever hear people say that? You know, oh, so-and-so's up there smiling down on me. And that does sound awful to me to think about spending my eternity someplace where I'm just stopping to smile down every now and again at people. But that fits closer with Jimmy Stewart's It's a Wonderful Life than it does the Bible. Because heaven is a place of perfection, where the perfected in Christ continue to exist in God's will and God's continued plan for them. So this whole business of smiling down on others, it's a nice thought, but it's not biblical. Here's some heavenly activities that are. And you might stop and take a minute at these. We're going to talk through these just briefly. What will heaven be like for those of us in Christ? Romans 11 33 and 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? This tells me heaven's going to be a continued place of learning, continued place of counsel from the Lord, from the one who knows it all and can tell it all. Can you imagine this direct access to God Almighty to learn the things of eternity? That sounds awesome. Well, because it is, because he is, right? Colossians 2.3 tells us, uh, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, an eternity of gaining wisdom and knowledge. This is specifically referring to Jesus, the Son of God. Isaiah 57.15 uh, says about the Lord, he is the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. 
The humble now, those that humble themselves now, will be restored and will be at a place that is higher than anything. Restored to the utmost. I've heard that, that, that book, what is that, my, 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 highest for his, my utmost for his highest, or something to that effect. We're going to be there to the utmost forever and ever in this place. One commentator offers, God is bigger than forever, and it's going to take eternity. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. So we can piece together some of these things. What's it all going to be like? How's it going to be? Think about it, the most heavenly, holy potluck dinner and get together for the saints and get this, it's never closing down and you don't have to worry about getting sick off the table. Right? No coronavirus. It's going to be wonderful. And it never stops. Some other things that we're told. Great multitudes surrounding each one of us. Think about it. John 14 and Revelation 7, 9 tells us people from all over the entire world just getting to know everybody in heaven is going to take forever. It's going to take forever. But we have forever. So that's great. That works out well. Heaven's described as a, a mansion, uh, these kind of language, a mansion with personalized rooms for each one of us, for all of God's people around the planet. But again, you know, we're not talking about the, the Holiday Inn Express. From the mouth of the God who says, Behold, I make all things new. We can count on His domain fulfilling all that we are and all that we could ever want and need and hope for forever. And one author writes this, and I, I love this thought. Can you imagine the stories? Can you imagine the stories? Well, you know, we've got people like Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those stories that we'll be able to hear, you know? I mean, com compared to what we may know in eternity, uh, no disrespect, but, you know, we're used to, I'm sure, getting the Cliff Notes version. It's going to be amazing to find out what we'll find out. Uh, this author goes on, I'd love to sit around and listen to Noah tell about building the ark, spending a year on that boat with all those animals. But he's got some interesting commentary. I look forward to having Jonah explain what it was like to be swallowed by that whale and hearing Peter talk about walking on the water. Won't those be some great experiences for us? But it's not just the biblically famous people that will share with that place of inheritance. It speaks of a place of inheritance for you and me, given to us. It will be God's people who went before us from each of our own families, too. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. Your great-great-grandpa, your favorite aunt, the lady that sat in the pew behind you for so many years, the child who passed away at birth. Here on earth, our days are filled with goodbyes, right? And the older we get, the more we say them. But heaven is a place of hellos, where we spend forever with God and God's people in a kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world, Matthew 25. Well, what else can we say about heaven? A few more things here this morning. A place where, again, as we said, only those untainted by sin under the blood of Jesus will be able to enter. We're told that time and time again in Revelation. So this also means nothing's going to get us down. Nothing's going to hurt. Verse 4. Scripture also assures us we won't ever want to go back to Egypt. We're not going to miss this place. 2 Corinthians 5.8, what does Paul tell us? Well, I would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Heaven is eternal and heaven is everything we truly desire. 
You remember that old song that goes, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through? Wow. God gave each one of us life in this place. And the day is coming and we're promised this. We're just uh, going through these parts on the way to his place. How cool is that? How cool is that? One question that um, I've been asked before, and maybe you've wondered or thought of this, is how will we know one another? Are we going to know each other from today and from the past when we get there? And I believe the answer to that is yes, absolutely. I mean, I have absolutely no idea what Jonah looks like. My guess is for a little while he probably didn't smell too good. But eternally speaking, I have no idea uh, what to expect when I see Jonah. How in the world will I recognize my great-grandfather? Well, we can't really uh, describe the process of recognizing others in their perfection, but God's word says we'll have the capability. Do you remember in Matthew 17 when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on that mount, and Elijah and Moses appeared to them? Peter knew who they were. Now, Peter had never seen them. He had no idea. None. No way. But Peter says to Jesus, and he gets a little nervous, right? Uh, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And, you know, he gets just settle down a little bit, you know, Peter. Well, they had the Lord right there with them. Similarly, when we arrive in heaven, you know what 1 John 3, 2 tells us? 1 John 3, 2 tells us we will be like him. We will be like Jesus. We shall see him as he is. Imagine that. Imagine that. And just as our earthly bodies were ones like Adam's, these resurrected bodies will be like Christ's. 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be as we always were, but perfect. But perfect. Paul refers to this in his uh, text as the heavenly man and the imperishable. And somehow in this state, we're going to know one another. Yeah, Paul says, yeah, this is a bit of a mystery, this twinkling of an eye, this instant change. But it's still a promise and it's going to happen. So I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to being free of some things, free of some parts of my sinful nature, free of my temper and free of maybe some habits. I'm looking forward to being free of my aches and my hurts and my pains and skin tags. I'll stop there. I'm looking forward to my, home, my homecoming day, of which apostles Paul and John share with us in Scripture, and, and seeing my late father and brother again, meeting many grandparents. Can you imagine a whole lineup of every grandparent you've ever had? You wouldn't need Ancestry.com ever again. You'd just talk to them. I'm looking forward to meeting a niece or two that passed away at birth. So many friends in the Lord have passed away, have gone into his presence during my lifetime. It sounds like it's going to be heaven. Looking forward to that day of being changed in a moment. The day will be the first day I'll never know separation from my loved ones ever again, the Bible tells us. To not ever shedding a tear or grieving a painful situation. To understanding exactly how, finally, these light and momentary troubles on earth, 2 Corinthians 4 says, are achieving an eternal glory far outweighing them all. To finally understanding that. Oh yeah, now I know why I went through that. I get it. I understand, Lord. I understand, Lord. 
Most of all, I'm looking forward to seeing the beautiful face of my Savior, the one who made me, saved me, and made me again. And knowing that he's not going to let me get away from his presence because of sin. Can't happen. Because of the cross, I know exactly where I'm going on the day. I leave this earth, and I call it home. I'm going home. Those full details of, God, of heaven, I realize that only God knows these things, but that's okay with me for now. How about you? What I do know is good enough. You know, Job, good old Job, once again, we know everything he suffered, right, in this life. Job put it this way, Yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another how my heart yearns within me. A promise from the Old Testament that still stands today. You're going to see God. Wow. What will heaven truly be like? Some of it I, again, can only imagine. This is a picture that I've always appreciated a lot. First few moments into heaven. An artist's rendering, right? It's, it's some, something from our imagination, but how our hearts yearn within me for a moment like this, each one of us. I'd like to close this uh, morning's message uh, just as it began with another story. It's borrowed, but I think on the subject of being received by heaven someday, of, of this moment, of having the arms of the Father embrace me, I think it's incredibly appropriate. There's a story told of a terminally ill patient uh, named John. He was visited by his doctor via house call. And as the doctor was about to leave, the, the patient, who didn't have a long time to live, called out to him, Doc, I have to be honest with you, I'm, I'm afraid to die. Can you tell me what lies on the other side? The doctor was very quiet for a moment, and then he responded, I, I don't know. You don't know, the patient said. You're a Christian man, and you don't know what's on the other side? Fidgeting a bit as he thought of an answer, the doctor placed a hand on the doorknob at the front entryway. And right at that moment, the sound of scratching and whining came from the outside of that house. The doctor uh, opening the door and immediately received this medium-sized dog who leaped from the room, jumped forcefully upon him. The doctor's dog, whom the doctor had brought along with him on the visit, began eagerly licking his face. You know, I mean, you know what that feels like. Maybe some of you loathe that. Maybe some of you love that. Big old medium-sized dog right in your face. And suddenly, the doctor realized how he could best answer the man's question. Did you see what this dog of mine just did? The doctor asked. She's never been here before. This girl didn't have a clue what was in this room or in this house. All she knew was that I was here inside. And when the door opened to her, she sprang in fearlessly. John, he continued to the patient, I know very little of what is on the other side of death, but I do know this. My master is there, and that is enough for me. And when that door opens, I'll pass through without any fear, but with plenty of gladness right into his arms. What awaits God's people on that side of glory? God himself, for whom we were created forever and ever and ever. What else could we want?
And much like that doctor's dog, he's all we need to truly know before we go. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you this morning that in a world that we see so much hurt around us, in a world that sometimes we wonder, is this the best there is? <laughs> We're tempted to question what's ahead and what lies ahead and if we can get there and if we can run the race. Lord, I pray that these promises that we do have of Scripture, that they would be promises that we would grab a hold of. You have gone to prepare a place for us. Lord, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but we know enough about your nature, about who you are revealed through Scripture. We know that you have a love that went all the way to the cross for us and out of the grave. And we know, Lord, that we're not going to be let down by what you have in store for us forever. Lord, I pray that we would look, look forward, that these words would, would be an encouragement to us today. thank you for these writers, these uh, Holy, uh, Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures that give us a glimpse into what lies ahead for us when we're restored. Lord, I pray that we would look forward to a place, a place of inheritance, place where we can be with you again a place that we'll never have to leave again a place that we'll never grow tired of or weary of inhabiting I pray Lord that we would instead be encouraged to speak to our family members and our friends and our neighbors and all those around everyone around us whom you loved and, and also died for to bring them along with us as well. Lord, there's not going to be any shortage of rooms where you, where you are. We know this. Lord, help us to dwell on your love, to remember your mercy and your grace, and to understand we may know enough about what heaven is like, because we know what you are like. We thank you, most of all, for the cross, for the bloodshed, and for the mercy and grace given, so that we can one day walk and talk with you in a place of perfection. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, in the holy name of Jesus, pray these things. Amen. Well, this week we had come up with a worship list and uh, 
Cody and I were both fairly happy with it. And I was working on my message, and Cody sent me a message halfway through the week. I can only imagine, is this relevant at all to what you're talking about? I said, yeah, it really is. Well, how do you want to work it in? And uh, we finally decided, man, how about we leave, we go from this place with this song, this beautiful song in which we, we kind of return our, our minds and our hearts to the Lord for this place for which we're made, you know. The Bible talks about how creation is waiting, groaning for restoration. And this means that each one of us, we all, we're all, whether we realize it or not, are looking forward to the return of Jesus and for what lies ahead. Each one of us. It's what we want more than anything. If you haven't yet begun the process of preparing your heart, if you haven't gone down into those waters of baptism, come up a new creation. Come up a creation that is heading for heaven. We invite you to do so. We're going to stand and sing this song I can only imagine as we imagine what awaits. <laughs>